take your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis is where we're going this morning, Genesis chapter 12. As we begin a brand new series today, uh, we have been talking about being stuck and what that means over the past uh, few weeks. And we've been talking about what it means to be stuck on God, how connecting to Him is most important. Production comes second, but connection is more important. And so we go to the streets of the Old West for this series. And the series is called Ride for the Brand. Now we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But each week, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at um, a passage of Scripture in the Old Westament. See how I did that? Old Westament. And we're going to go to the Old Westament, and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture, and we're going to discover a hero that is um, probably familiar to you. But we're going to look at the story with a set of fresh eyes, and we're going to try to glean, glean from that some things that will help us in put into practice what we've been talking about in the Stuck series, where the rubber meets the road, if you will, how we move forward in our journey of faith. And so today we're going to talk about going west, young man. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, and the call that God puts on the life of a man named Abram, or his name will be changed to Abraham, or for our purposes, we're going to call him Abe. But whatever you call him, God calls him. And so we're going to look at that story today, and I'm going to share some stuff with you about his story that maybe, just maybe, you don't really know. And why that matters. Also, each week we're going to feature a different cowboy or a character that comes more out of the literary entertainment world that you might be familiar with. Um, But we'll talk about that in just a moment. And we're going to talk about John Dutton from the series Yellowstone. But let's read, or let's go ahead and um, get started. I'm going to read the passage in a minute. I want to begin by telling you a story. It takes place in Montana. There's a cowboy that's out working and taking care of his animals when he looks off in the distance and sees a cloud of dust coming his way. He continues to watch and that cloud of dust gets closer and closer and closer and before you know it there is a BMW that appears out of that cloud of dust and it's driven by a man who is wearing a uh, Brioni suit, Gucci shoes, Ray-Ban sunglasses, and a silk tie. And he leans out the window, and he says to the cowboy, if I could tell you how many cows and calves you have, will you give me one of those calves? The cowboy ponders for a moment and says, sure, why not? And so the man parks his car, gets out, pops the trunk, opens up the trunk, gets out a notebook computer, connects it to his iPhone. He goes from then to a NSA page on the internet where he calls up a GPS satellite navigation system to get an exact fix on his location, and he feeds that into a NASA website, so a satellite will then scan and give him an ultra-high-frequency resolution photo of where they are right now. He imports a digital photo into Adobe Photoshop and exports exports, (laughs) exports it to an image facility in Hamburg, Germany where they run it through their system, and within seconds, he then is able to take that, access an MSQL database, so an ODBC-connected Excel spreadsheet, and he gets a response. That response comes in the form of a 150-page report, and it's there within a matter of seconds. He then takes that 150-page report and prints it out on a miniature printer that is connected to his trunk, and on that 
laser jet printer prints out a 150-page report and looks at it, turns it, shows it to the cowboy, and he says, you have exactly 1,586 cows and calves. And the cowboy spits. And he says, you're absolutely right. And the man says, so, can I have a calf? The cowboy says, help yourself. And he watches with amusement as uh, this man in the suit begins to try to wrestle this calf into the trunk of his BMW. <laughs> and as he's working at it, then the cowboy says, look, let me ask you a question. If I can tell you exactly what your business is, can I have my calf back? The man in the suit thinks for a minute and says, sure, why not? And so the cowboy looks at him and looks him up and down and says, you are a United States congressman. <laughs> the guy goes, that's correct. How in the world did you guess that? The cowboy said, it wasn't a guess at all. He said, here's why. You showed up here, even though nobody called you. And you wanted to be paid for an answer to a question that I already knew, and it was a question I never asked. And you tried to show me how much smarter you were than I am, and you proved that you don't know anything about cows, because this is a herd of sheep. Now, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like you to get my dog out of your trunk. <laughs> and ultimately, there's a moment where we have to come to grips with the fact that some things that we know, and there's just some things that we don't know. And there's a lot of stuff in Scripture that we, we know, or we think we know, but we don't know it well enough. And when we start talking about trying to flesh out and become this person that God wants us to be, we have to realize that everything is there for a reason, and sometimes you have to connect the dots of Scripture to understand the completeness of the story, and we're going to try to do that for you today. But in doing so, we discover something else. See, if you're a fan of the Old West, um, the Old West is a really hard thing to kind of put uh, a time frame on. The Old West, for the most part, began um, after the Civil War. After the Civil War, there were soldiers, fighters, who had nowhere to go, didn't have anything to do. Also, some people were afraid they were going to be tried and convicted for crimes. And so they went and they made the migration west. And, and they went to the other side of that Mississippi River and started pushing out into those unexplored areas or those areas that were waiting to be tamed in some ways. And that's how that western push began. Now, we glamorize it. Uh, today, I mean, we have Westerns, Western TV shows, and, and, and the Old West is a place where uh, one historian said it this way, and I love the way he said it. He said, the Old West was one place where fact turned into legend. Fact turned into legend. And for some reason, our culture, we have romanticized the West, what it was like. For example, most of you in the room have heard about the fight at the O.K. Corral. Wyatt Earp, his brothers... Doc Holliday, right? You've seen the movie uh, against Clamp Boys. You, you've, seen that, you've seen that thing. Here's the cool thing about it. History reveals that the fight didn't happen in the OK Corral. It didn't. <laughs> happened behind it. Happened at an intersection in Tombstone, Arizona. And this fight that's been immortalized in films that last in excess of three hours <laughs> took less than 30 seconds. Three people were killed number of people injured, but it only lasted 30 seconds. And yet history remembers this gunfight at the OK Corral. Well, you blink, you missed it. Went to buy popcorn, you missed the whole thing. I mean, it just happened different, but yet it became the stuff of legend. And here's what I want you to know. 
that God in your life has a life for you that each day you're going to have to live and flesh out and, and deal with the facts of your life. But if you're willing to do it, because he is in the mix, he will take your life and make it the stuff of legend. In other words, you're called to live a legendary life, not because of your greatness, not because of your wisdom, not because of your strength, but you're called to live a legendary life because God is in the mix. And your life becomes legendary because he wants to use you and the impact that you have, and it will last for eternity. That's legendary. And if you're willing to take that journey, anything and everything can happen. Now, some of you in the room, show of hands. Don't, don't be afraid to do this. My hand's up. How many of you watch or stream Yellowstone? Binge watch Yellowstone, the TV series? I mean, Yellowstone's kind of a cultural phenomenon. Right now, it's not, it's, not, it's not really a family show. Uh, but, you know, this is a no-judgment zone, so I'm not going to judge you if you watch it, if you don't judge me when I tell you I've binged it as well. Um, and I can't wait for the next season. Uh, if you've watched Yellowstone, it stars Kevin Costner. You'll see him on the screen there as John Dutton. John Dutton is the owner of the largest ranch, uh, according to the fiction, in Montana. John Dutton and his family are a family that is portrayed in this, this series and, and in the, in the re most recent series, I mean, he has been now elected governor of Montana uh, as the drama unfolds and so he's working to do that. But he is a guy who has a complicated past and a complicated world and the series is so popular. I mean, you can go to a, a Halloween store this year and buy Yellowstone Halloween outfits. You can buy Yellowstone brands, tattoos to put on your body uh, so you can go trick-or-treating, if you will. Uh, there's books, there's magazines. Uh, Yellowstone is one of those cultural things that is out there right now. And the series has even spawned two prequels, uh, 1886 and 1923. They don't even give them a title, they just number them by the year. One of them stars Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren, one of them... Uh, stars uh, Tim McGraw and his wife, um, Faith Hill McGraw, whatever her name is. Anyway, I mean, and, and they, they do these series, uh, and, and they're just telling the story of the Dutton family. And now, if you go online and look, there's a Dutton family tree. You can actually find how all these fictional characters are connected together because people somehow care about their lives. But the series itself, grabs the imagination. I mean, it's sad, it's beautiful scenery, but it has a lot to do with um, ranch life, politics, corruption, um, strained family relationships, um, deep wounds uh, that, 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 that they're struggling to overcome, and strong, strong characters where you, you really begin looking at the characters and say, man, I, that, that's, a, that's an interesting character. And, and here's the cool thing about it. Nobody's good in it. I mean, if you think about Yellowstone, if you watch it, and fans of the show will know I'm telling you the truth here, I mean, no one's really that good in Yellowstone. I mean, there's no really hero in Yellowstone. I mean, they've all got a lot of chinks in their armor, right? But the story is full of grit, and it's full of emotion. Believe it or not, the story we're going to look at in the New Testament, or, or not, not New, Old <laughs> Westament uh, today, uh, is full of grit and full of emotion. It is the story of Abraham. And so if you have your Bibles open... 
we're getting ready to tap into a story that is full of determination, there's overwhelming odds, there's strained family relationships, there's intense loyalty. It's a story of destiny. Verse 1 says this, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. And he took his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moriah at Shechem. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. And so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And that's our backdrop that we're going to paint against this morning for just a couple minutes. And I want you to know that we're, there's three main points I want to give you, because each week in this series I'm going to give you what I would call a brand. In other words, three letters that you can remember from uh, the study that will help you try to flesh out what it is that God has called you to be. But before we get there, there's an entrance ramp. This is not the main point. It's an entrance ramp. This is background stuff. But you know what? As I was looking and praying over this, I determined that the entrance ramp is probably longer than the main point. Because this entrance ramp means more to me in my life than I could possibly tell you. And I have a feeling that once I share it with you, this may be an entrance ramp that you will embrace and hold on to, and it may mean more in your life than you ever knew that it did. How's that for setting this up? So let me set up the entrance ramp for you by simply telling you what I've called it. I've called it the shakiest start in the West. Let me untangle this for you. In Genesis 12, 1, it says this, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Now, Abraham had lived the bulk of his life in Ur. The instructions are clear. Go from your country, your people, and your family to the land I will show you. But let's back up just a little bit. Beep, beep, beep. Into the passage. And go back into chapter 11, verse 31. And then let me catch up to where we've been reading. It says this. Genesis eleven thirty one. 31, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. And then the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land, I will show you. Now, we read that, right? So let's get this whole thing kind of in our mind. This whole family has moved from Ur. They settle for a while. The father dies, and then they move on. That's kind of the sequence of what's going on. The movement west, and it was west from, from where they started in Ur. Although Abram wasn't that young. And so that's well and good. And in most of my life, I spent thinking about Abraham as the father of a great nation and how he was just faithful. He loaded up all his stuff and they went. He went 
went off into this land that God was going to show him the land he knew not of. And God didn't tell him until he got there that this is where you're going to be. And it's a story and a pilgrimage of great faithfulness. And that's good. And it is. It really is. Except when you connect the dots of Scripture. And if you were fast forward from the Old Testament into the New Testament, you would discover that Stephen, in the book of Acts, is talking to a group of people who are getting ready to kill him. And before he does, he gives an overview of the Old Testament journey of God's people. And there's something that's very interesting there that I think for a lot of times in our lives we've just missed. Acts chapter 7, verses 2 through 4, it says this. To this he replied, this is Stephen, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. And after the death of his father, God sent him to the land where you are now living. Uh, did you get that? God's first appearance to Abram, Abraham or Abram isn't where we picked it up in the Genesis chapter. According to what Stephen said, God appeared to him before they left Ur and gave him these instructions. Go from your family, go from your country, and go to the land I'll show you. And then if you do the connecting of the dots of Scripture, what did Abraham do? He loaded up his father-in-law, Lot, all their stuff, went part of the way, settled, and waited for the old man to die. Then he went the rest of the way. And you say, what's the point? Well, the point is, Abraham was only partially obedient when he started. But you get it, right? Okay, you didn't. He was only partially obedient. And God still blessed him. And God didn't revoke the promise. And God was faithful. You get, you get that, right? See, because I got, well, maybe, maybe not you. That, that 9 o'clock crowd, those reprobates, <laughs> in their life, they're only partially obedient sometimes. They really are. They're only partially obedient. And, and sometimes they don't do everything they know they're supposed to do. And yet... Here in the book of Genesis, we discover a God in the very first book of the Bible whose grace is big and his love is loud and he's willing to bless us and give us the opportunity to grow into our obedience. That's huge. That's huge. See, because for all of us in the room who feel like sometimes we're spiritual misfits and we just can't do this spiritual thing, well, guess what? God will be patient with you. He'll give you time. He'll give you time to grow into it. What did he do with Abraham? He made him the father of a great nation. He, he didn't give up on Abraham, even though Abraham was only partially obedient when he started. And even when Abraham did it, he still screwed it up. Right? I mean... He waits for his father to die. You know why? 
Maybe not. They settled in Haran, which was a principal stronghold for the worship of sin. Not sin as we think of sin, but sin was the moon god. And it's quite possible that Terah couldn't tear himself away from the temple there because they worshipped the same god in Ur. And so when he got there, he probably couldn't tear himself away from the temple there. So Abraham waited for his father to die so he could move on. And then when Abraham still has the same command, leave your family, leave your country, leave those people and go, he still takes Lot with him. That's going to create a problem later on too, by the way. Abraham still got this partial obedience thing happening. But he finally gets moving and does what he's supposed to do and gets to the place that he's supposed to go. Abraham was probably trying to be nice. He felt bad for Lot. By this time, he would have been a father figure to Lot. Lot's dad was dead. So Abraham, they were the family. So he took Lot with him. And ultimately, there came that split where Lot went one way, and we know that's a whole different story. But that was the move that Abraham made. And the point of that is simply to remind you that in your life, your obedience is so important. And God blesses obedience. But you know what? He also blesses the direction you're moving toward obedience. If you take notes, you better write that down. God blesses you when you're moving in the direction of obedience. That's the God that's revealed in Scripture. That's the God we understand. He, he knows we're not always going to get it right. But he doesn't, he doesn't give up on us. One Sunday morning, an old cowboy entered a church just before services were about to begin. He was wearing a pair of jeans, white shirt, spotlessly clean. In his hand, he carried a worn-out leather Bible. He walked into the church, and the church he entered was very upscale, an exclusive part of the city. It was the largest and most beautiful church in the community. The people of the congregation were dressed in expensive clothes, and uh, they had the finest accessories, and the cowboy took a seat. Others settled close to him, but not too close to him. Uh, no one spoke to him. No one greeted him. Um, they were dismayed a bit by his appearance. He didn't look the part of a good churchgoer, and they did not attempt to hide that. After the service was over with, the preacher had gave an amazing long sermon about hellfire and brimstone with a stern lecture to the people about how you know people who need Jesus and they need to share their gospel so they can be saved. I mean, and he rattled the rafters down. I mean, it was so hot and uh, their seats were on fire and their fires of hell were licking them when they were done. I mean, it was one of those great sermons and so everybody got out fired up about sharing Jesus. He moseyed over to the old cowboy. He said, so, he said, do me a favor, before you come back next time, have a talk with God before you come and ask him what he thinks would be appropriate attire for you to come and worship in. You might find that that would help you fit in a little better. You might feel a little bit more at home with us next time. Following Sunday, the old cowboy comes back dressed in a pair of jeans, boots, and white shirt, clean. Same outfit he wore the previous week. This time he wore a hat. He dusted it off, but it obviously had dust on it a lot of the time. And still the same worn-out Bible. The preacher approached him before church started and said, I thought I'd ask you to speak to God about your attire and get some input on how you would um, be dressing 
what would be appropriate for you to come worship with us? Oh, I did. The cowboy said, I promise you, I truly, truly did. The priest said, well, if you spoke to God about the proper attire or proper dress for worshiping here, what did he tell you? And the cowboy said, well, God told me that he didn't have a clue what you needed to wear to worship there because he hasn't attended service here in a long, long time. <laughs> See, we have this mindset that if we can't do our part right, that God will give up on us. That God's going to quit. And he's just going to leave us to our own and, and go away. And, and I want you to understand, that's not the God that's revealed in the Scripture. See, from the opening pages, we discover a God whose grace and love meets us where we are and will take us on a journey with us. And he cares about our obedience and he wants us to get it right. And he's desperately wants to, us to know his love and share his love. But God will let us grow into the person that he has created for us to be. That's the journey that we're on. And we called the series Ride for the Brand. If you are a fan of Old Westerns or you're familiar with the Old West, each ranch has some sort of brand that they use. It will mark cattle or usually mark the ranch that they own or there's some kind of uh, a marking that becomes associated with a ranch. And the idea behind that is that you, you, you ride for the brand. Now, if you're in Yellowstone, that's a little bit different. Because if you're a Yellowstone fan, they actually brand people. They put that Y on you and... And John Dutton has a quote, and the quote is pretty powerful. It says, a brand isn't something you earn, it's something you live up to. And I like that quote a lot. Because, see, we spend our entire lives trying to live up to the call of God in our life. God calls us, and then we spend the rest of our lives on a journey trying to live up to the brand, if you will. Ride for the brand. Trying to get to that point that God wants us to get to. See, when we talk about being stuck on God and stuck on Jesus, we have what we need. We're connected to him. He is loving us. He, we, he is living through us. But then our job is to ride for the brand. Our job is then to be obedient. There's going to be some times we're going to mess it up. We are. I, there's no doubt about it. Ab Abraham did. And yet God stayed with him and gave him the time that he needed to grow into the man that was going to be the father of that great nation. But that's not how Abraham started. As a matter of fact, Abraham would not just stumble then. He would stumble time and time again on the way to getting it right. And he would eventually get it right. But I have to tell you, it was a very shaky start. And so for us today, that is the best news you're going to hear. That no matter where you are, no matter where you're starting from, no matter where you are in the journey right now, God has not given up on you, and he's going to get you where you need to go if you will do the things you're supposed to do. So the past is the past. Forget about the past. Get moving into the present and step into the future that God has for you. That is today. And today is the day that you start writing for the brand, and the call is to go west. And so I want to show you three things in the passage that are essential for you to do if you're going to move in the direction that God has for you. The brand is DSD. And the first D is simply this, direction. The direction in your life must be deliberate and it must be passionate. Look at verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. John Dutton has another quote in 
uh, Yellowstone that says living day to day isn't living. It's one of my favorite quotes from the series where basically he's saying, you know, you live today and you have to be in the moment, but uh, you need to have a passion in your life. There needs to be something that you're doing, something that you're working for, something that you're striving for. A lot of people don't have meaningful lives because they don't have anything that they're moving toward and anything they're trying to do. They don't understand the call of God in their life. They don't have a sense of purpose and calling. They don't have a direction from God. And so they're not really moving anywhere. They're just kind of spinning their wheels and and doing life and doing time, but they don't see God actively engaged or involved in their life. And I want you to know that God has called each and every one of you to something that is bigger than you are. He's called you to plug your life, to pour your life into something that is amazing, that something that he wants to take your life and make your life legendary. And you can have that, but to have that, you have to decide that you're going to go in the direction that he has for you, and that is a choice that you make deliberately, and it's a choice that you will make and follow him with passion. The Bible does talk about sin. Most of you know that. And we're familiar with the term the seven deadly sins. If you don't know what they are, they are lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. Now, that's not a list of Scripture, by the way. There's not a verse you can go to and it's not going to list out the seven deadly sins. That's not there. Yet all those sins are very much a part of what you find in the narrative of Scripture. They're there. Uh, They actually come out of early church history and they are called the seven deadly sins. I don't know if when they started that list that they were prioritizing the list, but to me, when I look at the list, the most dangerous thing on that list is sloth. Sloth. Not because it's fun to say, but say it with me, sloth. Look at your neighbor and say, stay away from sloth. Yeah. And, and do it with a Western drawl, sloth. Yeah, it's nice. Um, see, we think sloth means laziness. Somehow in our world, and our culture, we we think that's what it means. It does not. That's not what makes it a sin. Sloth is disconnecting from what we should be passionate about. Slothfulness comes along when we fail to fulfill the journey that is set before us by God. Slothfulness is failing to step out and step up and step into your divine purpose. That's what slothfulness is. It's not laziness, although that could be associated with it. What makes sloth a sin is the fact that you won't do what it is that God has called you to do. And sloth will suck the life out of your soul and leave you feeling empty, and have you combat feelings of inadequacy, not measuring up, and never, never having the ability to get it right. It's a lack of passion. It's a lack of direction. You're just doing time. You're just living day to day. But as John Dutton would tell you, that ain't living. You've got to do more than that. See, we get so worried about the future that sometimes we get immobilized because we know that we live in tough times and we live in a time where there's some things that we need to be doing as the body of Christ. And, and we wonder sometimes, well, what is that going to be? And sometimes we feel overwhelmed by that. And so we let the overwhelming feeling kind of settle in on us. And as a result, we don't do anything. 
Yet the call of God is a call always to move forward. And God has called each one of you. And the direction for your life involves you making the choices to be passionate about following God and willing to follow that call wherever it goes. And what does it take to follow that call? Well, glad you asked. That's the second letter. S, the sacrifice. It takes sacrifice because the cost is real. Look at verse 5. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and all the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out from the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Now, again, part of this is Abraham's carrying a lot of baggage with him now. Because notice when he leaves Haran, he takes everything that they had amassed as a family. All those years. What was the original call of God? Leave, leave, leave your people, leave your country, and go where I tell you. Instead, Abraham loads up the U-Haul and says, well, I'm just going to move everybody. I just like them all. Let's just take them all. Let's take all the people responsible. I mean, I mean he's being responsible. I got it. Let's just take them all. Let's, you know, I don't want to make that kind of value judgment on anybody. They all, they all, everybody, everybody, let's go. Let's go on a road trip. And they all take off. They go. And again, God's going to bless that. He's blessing. That'll be his last, like, you're not going to leave me here, are you? No, no, Lot, you come on. You, you know, you're not one of the people I'm supposed to leave. And, and you're not one of the people I'm supposed to leave, and you're not one of the people I'm supposed to leave, and you're not one of the people I'm supposed to leave, and you're some of my people too. I'm going to take my people. I'm taking my people. And Abraham does what he does, and they get moving. But they left behind where they had been. And there's sacrifice. And that sacrifice is going to come. In Yellowstone, in the TV series, there is a uh, part of John Dutton that is an interesting kind of thing to watch because he values loyalty more than anything else. He makes those statements in the course of the script that Kevin Costner uh, reads and performs. Gets him into trouble. He's loyal to a fault. He will do what he said he would do. And that's one of the things about Yellowstone that's kind of fun to watch. Everything that he says he does, that he would do, he does in the series. He never leaves a hanging statement. There's actually websites out there that track. John Dutton said he would do this. This is what he does. People have way too much time on their hands. <laughs> but they're fans. And so he's willing to pay the cost to do that. See, there's a cost to following Jesus. There's a cost to being the person that God wants you to be. Because every choice to follow God involves some type of sacrifice. The invitation was simple, follow me. How do you do that? Die the self. What did Jesus say? He said, you have to die to yourself. The things that you want, the things that you desire, and then you follow me and allow my passions, my desires, and my stuff become your stuff. He said, I don't come to dwell in temples built by man, but I come to dwell in you. And he lives in us, and we become uh, that outpost of the kingdom of God. So everywhere we go, our lives are no longer ours to live. They're his to use as he sees fit. Sacrifice. And over and over again in Scripture, you go back and you read the stories of those that God used in powerful ways, and you can't get away from that one idea, sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. See, we wanted to follow a God that pays the bills and doesn't cost us anything. 
We want to follow a God who gives us an unlimited charge card, but never asks us to make the first payment. We want to follow a God that never asks us to do anything that's hard, but here's what I've come to understand, that the bigger things that God calls us to involves some type of sacrifice, and if we're going to get it right, we have to be willing to sacrifice. There's an old lone cowboy that nobody knew that showed up at a mining town one day and he walked into the bar to get something to drink. It was a stereotypical old western saloon. The swinging doors, piano player in the corner, people playing poker, card tables uh, all around and, and people at the bar drinking. And he stood next to the bar and he ordered a drink. He took his time. When he finished his drink, he walked back outside to where he had tied up his horse and found out that his horse and all of his stuff was missing cowboy turned around and walked back into the bar, swung those saloon doors open, pulled out his six-shooter and fired a shot into the air, got everybody's attention. He said, listen to me, you old cowpokes, whoever stole my horse better have it back by the time I finish my next drink. And if you don't, I'm going to have to do what I did in Texas. And trust me, I don't ever want to have to do that again. And he slowly walked back to the bar and he ordered another drink. Piano player stopped playing. Every eye in the bar was now on him. The stranger who had showed up in their town, they, they looked at with curiosity, a little bit of fear, a little bit of confusion. He finished his drink, he paid for it, he walked back outside and there was his horse with all of his stuff tied up just where he had been before. It had been replaced. He put his foot in the stirrup and he mounted up his horse and the bartender came running outside and he said, hey, 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 before you go, he goes, we're sorry, so sorry about the little dust up before, but we just got to know before you leave, tell us what happened in Texas after somebody stole your horse. He tipped his hat and he said, I had to walk home. It, it, it's, it's, it's rare that we get the whole story. And we tend to be selective when it comes to what we understand about God. And to be very honest with you, sometimes you don't understand the bigness of the sacrifice that you make today and how it fits into God's big picture. All you know is that you're supposed to do it. One of the most amazing and joyful things about God and one of the most frustrating things for many of us about God is that he only gives us life on a need-to-know basis. We want the big picture, and we don't always get it. And so the question for you and the question for me is, are you willing to be faithful in the short term to discover what God is doing in the long term? If you're not willing to sacrifice, you'll never know. You'll never know. And so there's direction, there's sacrifice, and the last D is simply this. It's difficult, but not complex. Difficult, but not complex. Verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I'll give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. And from there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent in Bethel on the west, Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and he called upon the name of the Lord. See, it's easy to fall into a trap when it comes to obedience because we are great negotiators with God. 
we try to do a number of things. We look for compelling ways to do something besides God's plan in our life. Even when we know what we're supposed to do. Um, we look for an easy way to do what God wants us to do. One that involves no hardship at all. <laughs> we, we don't like that. Um, we don't like risk. So we don't ever put anything on the line. Um, we think if we can just wait and pray. We love that. Well, I'm waiting and I'm praying about it. Because we think if we do that long enough, God will get bored with us and change his mind. And so we try to wait out God, and, but we make it spiritual. We're just going to wait and pray. And we try to wait God out. Um, we don't really, really want to sacrifice very much. And I want you to understand that what God calls you to do might be difficult. But it's not overly complex. Because what he calls you to do is the next step. He doesn't call you to get to the finish line now. He calls you to do the next thing. For Abraham, it started, you know, leave your country, leave your people, and go. You know Abraham looked at God and said, where? And God's answer in Scripture is, to a land I'll show you. Well, where's that at? I'll tell you when you get there. I mean, that's the conversation he's having with God. Most of us in the room wouldn't have gone. We wouldn't have gone until God gave us the destination. Then we would have started. After we had evaluated, do I want to go there? All God would say, I'm going to send you to a land you know not of. Well, that's even worse, isn't it? I mean, uh, well, where, where is I know not of? Well, it's just around the corner from that place you've never seen. What? And that's the journey that Abraham says, I'll take. See, I, I, I don't get overly bothered by the fact that he stopped and they kind of parked in Heron for a while and he looked at his dad and said, I, I, I'm waiting to stay here for the rest of your life, Dad. I, I get that. I mean, he was moving, but he wasn't going too far. He didn't go all the way. He wasn't all in yet, but at least he was directionally doing what God had called him to do. And for you and I in our lives, that's what we have to understand. There has to be direction. There has to be sacrifice. And we have to be willing to deal with the fact that it's going to be tough sometimes. It's not complex. But if it's worth doing, most of the things that are worth doing involve some work, involve some effort, involve a little bit of muscle. It can get hard sometimes. Why? Because we live in a tough world. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that doesn't value the things of God. And so as a result, we got to recognize that we got to do some tough stuff to win the people around us and to shape the world around us and to shape the culture around us into a place where his kingdom comes. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the now what today is simple. But there's never anything simple, is there? But the now what is three things. Three prayers. First, pray. God, let me see your direction for my life. Let me see your direction for my life. In other words, what are you supposed to do? Where are you supposed to go? How are you supposed to be moving? Give me some direction for my life. And you know what? God's going to give it to you. 
The second prayer is this. Help me to be willing to make the sacrifice it's going to take to move in that direction. Because to move from here to there costs something. It, it, there's some energy. There's a willingness to try and trust that you're going to step in that next place and the, the ground's not going to give away. There is a cost. There's always a cost. There's a sacrifice that has to come. So pray, God, help me be willing to make whatever sacrifice it is to get where you want me to be. And then, the last prayer is help me live through the stuff of life. In other words, help me live through the difficulties. Help me live through the stuff, the junk. Help me live through the stuff that's going to happen around me when I start being obedient. Because here's what I know. When you start being obedient, there's always someone around you not going to like it. And so you have to be willing to deal with that. That's part of the journey. But if you will pray those prayers and you're then ready to move and go west and you can trust this, God will get you where he's called you to be. He'll get you there. But you have to do your part to take the journey. What's the journey that God's called you to be on? Let's pray together. God, we are always, always aware that you have called us and there is a journey that we are on. And there's a journey that we take and that journey is a journey where we will grow, where we will become, where we will discover and there are moments on that journey that we will stumble a bit and probably not make the progress we need to make. That is the stuff of life. And yet, you have the amazing ability to get us to the very place that you called us to when we're willing to be obedient. So God, for some this day, they're hearing what we're talking about and it sounds well and good, but they've never made the decision to believe and trust and follow Jesus. They've never made that step of faith, that first step, that commitment to accept, to believe, and to choose that you are who you said you are, you did what you said you did, and you will be who you have promised to be. And so, Lord, for anyone who's never made that decision, if they're in this room, I pray that before they leave this morning, they would give to us a worship flyer, fill it out, and say, I, I want to accept Jesus as Savior, put it in our giving kiosk on the way out the door, and give us a chance to come alongside of them and chat with them about um, the decision they've made, what needs to happen next. Well, there are also, though, some in this room who have made that decision. And so for them, this is all about direction. The direction that you want them to start moving. We've talked about connection. We've talked about what it means to be connected, how to be connected, how we can grow, how we'll discover what it is you've called us to be. And so now the time has come. <coughs> the time has come for us to grow. And so there we are. We're waiting. We're ready to live up to the brand that you called us to. Oh, there's some who are watching online right now. Across the bottom of the screen, there's an email address. Maybe they need to accept Jesus as Savior. Maybe they need some encouragement, resources to help them move forward. Lord, I pray that whoever they are, 
wherever they are, they would email us right now so that we might be able to share that with them. And they could take the journey that changes everything. That's our prayer, our hope. Amen.